0: Coaches across the country used the Coach Pad this past season to be more efficient with their scout card prep on the weekends as well as when out on the practice field working with their scout teams. Whether you're a coach using a computer program to create cards or drawing them by hand, the Coach Pad is for you. Never printing paper or stuffing a binder, clearly seeing scout cards outdoors in the bright sun and using the Coach Pad on game days, syncing diagrams from the press box to the sideline were some of the features coaches enjoyed this season. This offseason, get your Coach Pad at thecoachpad.com to get your program ready for next season, thecoachpad.com. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Um, today we have uh, Coach Tom Madeira, uh, recently retired slash part t- t- newly part-time coach here in uh, New Jersey. Um, before we get started, please make sure you hit like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz. Check out our sponsor, Coach Pad, um, before you kind of continue with this video and or audio version, depending on how you're listening to this. Um, coach, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Like I said, appreciate you coming on. Like I said, I, I, I didn't realize for having me. New Jersey and uh, I think like Idaho eluded me on the list of states I've not talked to somebody from Um, Hawaii. I've almost given up on for some reason, but I just, that is a whole nother conversation. Um, But I I do appreciate you come on. Let's start here. Like you recently semi-retired I'll phrase it that way uh, from high school coaching high school football after, I mean, over 30 years of coaching and, Um, kind of, how do you end up where you are now? Let's phrase it that way. How'd I end up in New Jersey? Yeah. And and yeah, let me retire. Yeah. Um, you
1: know, coaching does that to you. Uh, I started out my career 43 years ago. I graduated from Mount Union College in 1980 and I got a job at St. Edwards High School in Lakewood, Ohio. And two years after that, Mount Union invited me back to be an assistant coach at Mount Union. Uh, being single, I'm coaching there. We had a lot of success. Uh, I wanted to get into Division I, and I I was seeing the only way to do that was to be a grad assistant somewhere. And to make a long story short, I ended up at West Virginia. I was there for three years. My last game was the 1988, well, the season of 88, but uh, the game was played in 89, January 2nd of 89. We played Notre Dame for the national championship. Uh, That spring... Coach Nealon called me in his office and says, hey, he says, I, I want you to go to Navy and interview with a friend of mine, Elliot Uselak. Uh, I went there that spring. I interviewed with Elliot. I got the job. I was there for three. Well, I was there. Elliot got fired. Uh, and when that happens, you know, you're out looking for a job. So I'm looking for a job, high school, college, anywhere. And uh, I got offered a job in New Jersey at Holy Cross High School. I spent eleven years there and then I got into public education at Burlington Township and just finished 21 years there. So 43 years total, 32 as a head football coach. And I just figured it was time to, you know, step back, relax a little bit, golf in the fall. My son's the head coach now. I told him I would help him out part-time. Uh, you know, so that's that's my story.
0: I mean, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of ways and we'll hit on this in a minute, but um, Well, first, because I always jump at the bit to talk to somebody who t- has coached in the Army-Navy game, and we talked a little bit about that before we started, and I've had a coach from all three of the major service academies on here. Um, I readily wear various service academy shirts just to support the schools and those mm-hmm. academic institutions. Um, what, I mean, my main question for you is kind of, what was the experience like coaching at Navy? And what was the Army-Navy game like? Because obviously that's a very different game. There's a reason that game is played after every regular season and conference tile games is done. Um, of what was that experience like? The game itself
1: is like a ball game. Uh, you know, they take the whole student body. Uh, they call it the yard. They get their buses, and they take every person goes up to the game all the midshipmen go up, up to the game. The first year that I was there, we actually played in the Meadowlands and we weren't having a good year. We ended up three and eight, but we were two and eight at the time. Army was having a pretty good year. We kick a field goal on the last play of the game. Now, what's interesting about that, we win the game 19 17, kick the field goal, the last play of the game. Our kicker's name, Frank Shank. You know, and just an ironic name, but he kicks it. We win 1917 and I saw kids crying. I saw you know, it was just it's just an amazing experience. Uh, Friday at our team meal, Roger Stahlback came into the hotel and talked to us. Now this was 1989, the season of 89. Roger Stahlback looked like he could still play. Uh, but that was a big thrill just listening to him talk about that game. Um, And I said, the game itself is like a bowl game. I mean, it is, it's huge. Um, Now it was tough playing in New York to see everything, but when you played it in Philadelphia, I mean, the hotels were overrun by midshipmen and the army cadets. And it, like I said, the whole weekend, the whole weekend,
0: was just like a, a major bowl game. It, it was neat. Um, now, I, I mean, I, like I, we were talking beforehand, like obviously Bill Belichick was on this past uh, pregame with Lee Corso, and I saw a video of Lee Corso getting thrown in. I don't know if it was the river or the lake. Was that a tradition for every Navy coach, or that, had that stopped at that point?
1: I heard that it was that they threw the coaches in the Severn, Yes. Uh, when I was there, no. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Now what did happen, we're at practice and we practice right on the Chesapeake. I mean, right, right across where, like where our JV field was, if you kicked an extra point, you kicked it in the Chesapeake. Uh, but we're practicing and two jets come flying right over our heads. Like, probably higher than I thought they were, but they looked like they were a hundred feet off, off the ground and they slowed down right over, right over our practice. And all of a sudden they turned and they went straight up in the air and those kids are cheering. They're going crazy. Uh, you know, so there was a lot of neat things like that during that
0: week. Okay. Now, I, I mean, I, I'll just continue the little Bellatrix tree before we get into your high school coaching career. I mean, Steve was retired by that point. You were there, but still, yes. still around the facility, or how was? Well, that? he was in the office. He was in the office every day. I talked to him
1: many, many times.
0: Okay. What well, What was that? I mean, obviously, his son is extremely well known, and as I mean, one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time. But for the father, how? I mean, obviously, he's well known for the scouting and being involved in that area. What were, I mean, obviously, I know you were a little bit involved on the defensive side. What were, what did you kind of take from those conversations or that experience?
1: Well, no, number one, I, I think we lose this a lot of times. Like we look at older coaches, you know, and the game is passing them by. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm the opposite. I mean, I'm a history guy and, you know, anything that he would talk about or, you know, you listen, you know, intently because you knew his background um now you know naturally when he was retired at that time you know bill was the defensive coordinator of the giants you know so you you kind of you know put the two together that you knew steve through bill but in all reality you know
0: steve's background at navy is you know second to none yeah I i was just curious like i said obviously i mean like i said before and i have his scouting book that he published i don't even know when and um you just hear anybody that's ever coached at Navy speak wonders of him. Oh, he very, very
1: attention to detail, attention to detail, and he would always emphasize that you know the little things that you know the detail.
0: Now, now, from obvious from from college, you made transition to high school head coaching. What I'll start there. What was the kind of transition back to high school ball? Uh, especially in a different state than when you had started coaching high school back at St. Ed's, what was that transition like from transitioning to college back to high school, especially high school in a state you had not been at?
1: Well, I was very, very fortunate to get to a high school that had a lot of players. Like we would have 50 freshmen, 60 freshmen. Uh, You know, we'd have 70 varsity football players. Uh, You know, when I got there, they played about 16, 17 guys. And I'm watching film in the spring of these guys. I'm going like, well, you know, we got 75 guys on the team and we're playing 15 guys. So I said, we're gonna play one way. We did that's how we did it in college. This is how we're gonna do it here. And I was very, very, very fortunate to have really good coaches. I mean, I'm coming from Annapolis, Maryland, and they told me I could hire whoever I wanted. Well, I don't know anybody. So I kept most of the guys on the staff. And my offensive coordinator actually played for the Cleveland Browns. Interesting stat. He was the starting right tackle on the first, very first Monday night football game. Oh, cool. Uh, Yeah, Joe Tafoni. he was my offensive coordinator. And I told him, I said, Joe, you run the offense, you know, I'll take care of the defense and special teams. And uh, we went 11 and 0 and won the state championship that year, my first year. But it was funny, the very first game, you know, they kick off to us and we go off on a long drive. I look up on the clock and there's like three minutes left. It was very, very hard for me to get used to 12 minute quarters instead of 15. Because okay. it was like taking it was taking a quarter of the game away. Yeah. You know, you know, you took three minutes, you know, that, that's another quarter, you know, 12 minutes. Uh, you know, college was 15 minutes. So uh, it took me a while to get used to that. Then you know some of the rules were a little bit different too, uh,
0: not major rules, but some of them were a little bit different. Okay, now, now I mean I'll, I'll start on I'll do both sides of the ball. Like obviously we'll get to your tremendous amount of success here in a little bit because like I mean um, you you had extremely success at Holy Cross and you had extra uh, yeah, success um, at your most recent spot and I'm is blanking off top of my mind real quick. Um, a Burlington Township. Yes, Burlington Township. I knew it was something Township. I yeah. remember, like I was like ah, yeah. uh-huh. um. But I mean, let's, let's start there. Like I mean, obviously the game has changed slash evolved since you. Oh, it's changed big time. Um, and a lot of that's rule changes to kind of in- emphasize more scoring and um, and then there's clock rules. If you're up by certain, I mean, obviously, um, if you're up by over thirty and all that lovely jazz let's start defensively how defensively have you evolved from your time at just like leaving navy and your first year at holy cross to your most recent year how much has your defense and your philosophy on defense and how you view defense changed
1: well the philosophy hasn't changed at all um i kind of got it from ken Wable at Mount union uh pick out their favorite formations know how to line up against them pick out their three favorite plays and stop those plays so when watching film you're kind of like okay what's their favorite formations what's their favorite plays let's focus make them beat us doing something that they don't do well don't let them beat you doing what they do well um i took our defense from west virginia and i took that with me to holy cross uh Even the terminology to this day, I use the same terminology. But the game has changed. It used to be, when I was at Holy Cross, the majority of the teams ran two back. Pro, twins, eventually, like when our offense, we went to a one-back offense. But it was strictly one back. The quarterback wasn't a runner. This spread offense, what it does to you is – a one-back offense is really a two-back offense. A no-back is really a one-back offense. You have to account for the quarterback running the football. Where, you know, back in the day, you didn't have to do that. The quarterback was—he was a thrower. He wasn't a runner, uh, unless you're running the wishbone or something like that. Uh, so, now my defense, the past ten years or so, has been a four-two-five because of all the formations that they give us, you know? I remember when I was coaching at at, uh, West Virginia, we're playing East Carolina. East Carolina was a team, they came out in every formation known to man, two tights, no tights, no backs, one back, like everything known to man. And they put me up in the press box that game and all I was supposed to do, I had binoculars, And I was on the headset, the defensive coordinator, and I was telling him what personnel was going into the game so he could make his call. East Carolina at that time wasn't a great team. So we beat them pretty good. Well, now we're going to play Penn state. They line up in two formation pro and twins. So defensively we're like, Hey, this is great. Like we know how to do this. This And they were just better than you. You know, they were just better than you. Uh, you know, so the the game has changed from formations to philosophies, and it'll go back again. It, you know, I, I mean, I look at what they're doing now, what people are doing. Now. It's almost the old single wing. Yeah. Just
0: they don't line up like it. Correct, and, and even you see some single like because I follow a obscene amount of people on Twitter, X, whatever we won't call it, and yeah, like I see people like, and you see like the Dolphins coach and Andy Reid pull stuff from the single wing days from a college or an NFL team back from the sixties or fifties. And somebody finds the like exact like black and white video of it. And they just put them side by side on Twitter. And you're like, okay, somebody is watching yeah. a film and it works. Like, yeah. it's Basically the same thing. Like, I mean, people don't like, I mean, we had this conversation all the time. Like people, the triple, like – and I know Twitter exploded this past weekend because of the um, – Harding made the national title game. So everybody's all – the, all the triple and flex bone people are very excited at the moment and talking about how if you want to win, you run the flex. Like, every offense works if you got personnel that fits it. And- well, that's the whole thing. Personnel comes down first.
1: Like, when you coach in college, you recruit the people to fit your personnel like Rich Rodriguez, when he was at West Virginia, when he first got there, they weren't his type of players. Same thing when he got to Michigan, wasn't his type of players. You go out and recruit your type of players. When you're coaching in high school, you get who you get. And you have to – Larry Karras said this, uh, you know, he says, it's it's players, formations, and plays. You know, your players and then your formations and then plays – and so you do. You you fit your offense and defense around your personnel.
0: Yeah. Now, I I, I mean, kind of. I, I want your opinion on something because obviously, you coached back when the wishbone was still prevalent. Yes. Um, and I've gone down a weird wishbone hole past I don't know month. Just look at just I don't know. I saw like a a, a like six part documentary on YouTube, and I just went down a rabbit hole after that, and. Um, kind of, and then obviously when you were at Navy, you were on the even side, but the offense ran it. You had to prep for Army, who ran it at the time. I mean, kind of, what are your thoughts on the wishbone as an offense in general and kind of what it was able to do? And um, obviously it turned into the flexbone bone and various other offenses, but kind of your perspective on the flexbone, just out of curiosity.
1: Well, number one, not many people run it. Like when I was at, at Navy, It was us and Army. I don't think anybody else ran it. So now you're trying to prepare for us, and we don't have the talent as you have. We're playing Syracuse. We're playing Pitt. We opened up with BYU. We played North Carolina. uh, You know, much, much better talent than we had. Um, So you're trying to prepare in one week for that offense, and, boy, if you aren't – Very, very disciplined. Somebody better be taking a dive. Somebody better be taking quarterback, and somebody better be taking pitch. And then all of a sudden in the secondary, you're starting to creep up. You know, you're coming up for pitch. You're coming up for a quarterback. And all of a sudden, you throw the football, and the guy's wide open. So it was difficult for teams to do that. And one thing that I was happy with, I probably forgot most of it by now, was learning how to defend the wishbone because that's all we saw in the spring. You know we're getting ready for Army. That's all we saw in the spring was was
0: the wishbone. Yeah, and that's the that's the game that matters. I mean, that's the I mean, I, I think I mean Bill Belichick said this past weekend you can go one in eleven at Navy as long as that one win is beaten Army. That's that's yeah, that's what matters. Yeah, and you know,
1: you know the game is back then. You know, the lead blocker if he came straight at you, we called that a load block. Yeah, if he went out for the pitch player. That was an arc block. Well, he could cut you. So as that lead back came down on our outside back or defensive end, he cut him. Well, that slows you, that slows you down just a little bit if you know you're going to get cut. Now you can't get cut, you know, that that's an illegal block. You know so you know, even the blindside blocks now are illegal, uh, or a defenseless player back in the day, there was no such thing as a defenseless player. Um, but you have to be really, really smart to play, too, because I just remember that you, if you get a base block, you take quarterback. If you get a down block, you squeeze it, come off and take dive. The linebacker scrapes for quarterback and people in the stands, they don't understand the, you know, the intricacies that go into Playing both offense and defense, even offensive line, they just think you you know you block the nearest guy or this you just tackle the guy with the ball and I go down. That's not how it happens.
0: Yeah, no, you're 100 right. And I mean, that's that's a whole nother conversation as the parents and the 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 spectators in the stands. But yeah, now I, I will also say like you've pro- your coaching career has probably seen. I mean, in this, and somebody might correct me on this, the greatest. Transition of offensive football in history in your time span because, like, I, I mean, part of that documentary we talked about how people essentially went from the T to the wishbone. There's also the split back veer at Houston. Um, but like, over the course of your career, that's what we
1: ran about. Union was when I played, was the split back veer.
0: But like, with that, like, so you've seen the split back, you've seen the wishbone, the eye was prevalent in the early 90s, and then now you got. Full spread, flex bone, um, triple option, gun triple option, RPOs. Like, how have
1: you- well? And, and the RPOs from a defensive standpoint. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> offensive line, offensive linemen go three, four yards downfield. Our guys step up and they throw the ball, and there's no flag. I'm like, give me a break. You, you're teaching kids to read read the offensive line. If they pass block, it's pass. If they yep. run block, it's run. Now it's like, you know, and we did it this year. You know, we would make a call and tell them, you know, don't go further than three yards downfield because we may throw the football. Yeah. But, you know, you're making it hard on the defense. Uh, we did. You know, I, I don't know if this is a nat- national rule or a New Jersey rule, but they came in with a rule two years ago that you could throw the ball away. You got to be, yeah, you know, outside the tackle box, and so I tell the referee, I go, so there's another thing you got to worry about. Was he outside the tackle box? And let's just penalize the defense for playing good defense. You take everything <laughs> away, so hey, we'll just let
0: him throw it away. <laughs> it's like, uh... no, I, I get you, but but with that, like, I mean, how, I mean, how have you, I mean? Obviously, you're you primarily being defensive coach, and you're focused with defense, and you've let your offensive coaches coach. But how is even for you? like has your offensive philosophy evolved at all for what you want your teams to do? How have your offenses evolved since you took the Holy cross job to obviously like when I watched some of your huddle highlights before we got together for this, I mean, you're throwing the ball around, you're in two by two, you got, I mean, you got some empty stuff and like you have the ability to, I mean, it's not 1980 anymore. I mean, heck I still, I mean, you look at our, my league, I mean, two-thirds of our league is in the gun um, outside of two teams. One runs a power T, one runs a triple. I mean, we were probably the third most under team in our league this year. Um, How has that evolved for you and kind of your perception of what you want to see on the other side of the ball for you?
1: Well, you know, number one, again, it goes back to personnel. You know, even though everybody does want to run the spread now – but this kills me. This kills me from a coaching standpoint. And I golf with a guy that coached in the NFL a little bit. In fact, he was Sam Bradford's quarterback coach. And his grandson coaches in college. And he we, we would talk. This kills me. You get down in the red zone and you're in the shotgun, right? It's fourth and one. It's fourth and a half a yard. And you're taking the ball five yards off the line of scrimmage. So now it's not fourth and and one anymore it's fourth and six yeah you know um you got the ball in your own two yard line and what are you doing you're in shotgun and snapping the ball back into the end zone and that drives me crazy i i tell my offensive coaches when we're in third and short fourth and short you better be under center okay uh we get in the red zone i go we got to have a red zone offense i mean if you're just in the spread constantly and you don't have certain plays for the red zone you know, it, it, it's not real good. So I'm old school when it's short yardage or we're in the red zone. I want to get under center. I, I still think, you know, I look at, I look at the Browns last week, man, Joe Flacco looks good under center. You know, when he's ball faking and play action, you know, that's what I would prefer. But again, it comes down to, you know, personnel, like for years, you know, we, had, we run the spread offense. We really didn't, we didn't run our quarterback. We're in high school. I had one quarterback. He (laughs) goes down. All of a sudden your second team guy isn't even close to what, you know, he's not a scholarship player like at West Virginia, you know? So, you know, there were years where we had two really good quarterbacks. And I say, yeah, go ahead, run the, run the number one guy as much as you want because we, we do have a backup. So again, I, I think it comes down to your personnel. Who do you have? Who do you want to get the ball to? Um, do you ever hear the story on Nick Saban when he was playing high school ball and they had a, a fourth down and they needed a touchdown to win the game to get in the state playoffs? Yeah, and so he goes the coach
0: back. Coach called the, call the play, He called the play. And is that like – yeah, I've, I've heard him tell that story once. Yeah. 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 The,
1: the coach told me, he goes, young Nick, he goes, you call the play. He goes, but you got an all-state tailback and you got an all-state wide receiver. Make sure one of them touched the ball. So it wasn't so much the play that you call make sure he touches the ball and and you know we, we've done that too you know we've been fortunate to have really good players and you know we throw a hot route to a wide receiver and he goes 40 yards for a touchdown and we look like geniuses two years <laughs> later you run the same play and you lose five you know you, you lose two yards because you're thrown it to a different person
0: yeah no your heart's right now curiosity, like. What is your under center formation of choice? Like if you could just pick one that you just be in cuz like I know certain like you watch Penn State the past couple of years when they it's 4th and short, 3rd and short, they're getting in the power T as an example. Um yeah. like what what is your like if you could like hey, doesn't matter the personnel, where we go what like what formation Well, again, it it, it does matter to personnel.
1: I uh, I might even bring defensive players in and stuff like that. Uh I like to get into what, what you know what we used to call the old power eye. Okay. You know, eye back feeling you know, offset back. I would put defensive linemen at, at the power eye back, uh, and we could run a lot, a lot of plays. Like my, I would drive my offensive coordinator nuts because every week I'm putting in a different play, a tight end reverse, a this and that, and he's like, just you know, uh, you know, you run full back dive, full back dive, full back dive. But all of a sudden, you fake to the full back and you throw a pop pass to the tight end. You know, so there's a lot you can do, but like I said, I I just hate taking the ball off the line of scrimmage in fourth and short. I sure. see everybody. Mount Union did it uh, two years ago in the, in the national championship game. They had fourth and one, and they had a three-yard loss. I mean, when I was at West Virginia, when we uh, were in short yardage, 95 percent of the time our fullback craig taylor got the ball and he never lost a yard might not gain anything but we weren't losing any yards either so. well,
0: that's like uh we got the um under dungy um all start. like when they yeah. at, at the buccaneers like i mean he's like had the highest yards per carry of like any back in the league and just i mean i think he's like the all-time leading rusher at fullback too so it's like yeah i don't know too many people want to tackle him no that's a large human being that is a um, that's a little different Uh, just saying um i I mean i mean a couple more questions like obviously um your son has followed you into coaching um and i and i usually have this conversation the inverted way where um a son that has followed their father and worked for their father um but kind of from a father perspective what is it uh Kind of been like for your son to follow you into coaching, to co- be the head coach at the school you used to be a head coach at, um, and kind of the opportunity now for you to be able to help him a little bit, assuming everything goes the way you expect it to. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it was interesting. When I got the job at Holy Cross, my son was less than a year old. Uh, the season started in September. He turned one in October, end of October. So for the first 11 years of his life, he grew up at Holy Cross High School. That's all he knew. He actually played for me at Burlington Township, but for him to end up as the head football coach and athletic director at the school he grew up with is really, really a neat thing. Um, Now, as far as coaching with me, a lot of people wanted me to put them on my staff and I didn't want to do that. I said, look, I said, if you're on my staff, it just, I don't know if people would think that you, know, you need to go off on your own. So, um, a guy that was my quarterback coach had, had, had got a head coaching job and then hired him to be his receivers coach. And from there, he ended up being an offensive coordinator at another school. But again, he was making his own name for himself instead of just being like on my staff, like undermining. it. Like, am I don't want to do a lot of full-time stuff next year with him because I don't want people looking at me on the sideline going, oh, no, no, no. This is his team, not my team, you know. Yeah. Although, you know, a lot of my ex-players and stuff are really happy that I'm going to help help them out. I don't want to step on his toes. I do not want to do that.
0: I get it. Like, just, just I mean, I mean, it's also, it allows you a chance just to watch your son and probably something you've never really been able to do over the past
1: Right. You know, I was able to go to a couple games, you know, if, if we played on a Saturday, they played Friday night or vice versa. Uh, he always wanted to play me. You know, he, he goes, dad, I want to play you before you retire. I want to play you. But the size of the school I was at and the size of the school he's at, it just didn't match up. I'm going, you know, he's got like 30 players on the team. I've got close to 70. I said, that's, you know, it's just, it just didn't match up. So when I told him I would help him coach, he goes, well, that's the next best thing was is to, have, to be able to coach with you.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. Like I get it. Just, i just, I always kind of wanted to see I'm just curious to understand the opposite perspective. Cause like I said, you hear a lot of the other, the son who's worked for the dad or be able to coach against dad or coach with dad. like just that perspective, you don't get too many opportunities where the dad comes back to help the son after he's retired or, um, yeah, and like I said,
1: I gotta watch that so I don't say too much because I, am when I'm at his games like this year or the year before, I'm on the sideline, and there's a couple times he turned around, and he goes, "I'm the head coach, not you," because I would be, <laughs> saying, I just you know it, yeah. it's in your blood, you know, you're used to doing it, and you know, so I, you got to back away a little bit.
0: Okay, now now one of the things I do want to hit on is, I mean, obviously you've had a tremendous amount of success over the course of your career. Um, including, uh, as you mentioned, your first year at Holy Cross, you were a state title. It kind of makes makes things quite easy there, um, at least prospectively. I'll phrase it that way. Um, kind of, I mean, obviously players attribute a lot to that. A good coaching staff attributes a lot to that. Um, but what else would you attribute to not only the success you've had, but the kind of the longevity you've had? Because not everybody gets 40 years and 30-plus yeah. years as a coach. Yeah, the longevity
1: is the thing that – I don't know if you're going to see that anymore. I, I, you know, the game has changed not only on the field, but off the field. Um, You know, if you yell at a player now, you could be bullying them. Uh, You know, I grew up in the era where, you know, I got smacked upside the head one time by a coach and my parents were in the stands. It was no big deal back then. It was no big deal. Now, you know, you can't do anything like that. Uh, You know, so, You know, number one, you got to have players. I mean, I've been very, very, very fortunate to have great players. In fact, one year I went to the Continental Tire Bowl. West Virginia was playing uh, Virginia. And I'm in the stands cheering for both teams. And people are looking at me like, what in the heck are you doing? I go, well, you see the tailback on that team? He played for me. See the tailback on that other team? He played for me. So both tailbacks played for me uh, in high school. So that tells you the talent that we had. Uh, the last time we won a state championship at Holy Cross, both of our tailbacks, my tailback played in the NFL and their tailback played in the NFL. I think between the two of us, there were eight Division One players on the field. So you're very, very fortunate when you have players like that. Then the second thing is, In my belief, you have to coach them. I mean, I think too many people, when they get good players, they don't coach them. And I'm going, you can do this in high school and be really, really good, but at the next level, you're not going to. I had a kid a couple of years ago, he was good. And he knew it. And he wouldn't do the little things right. And I kept telling him, I go, when you go to the next level, you can't do this. Well, he thought he could well, he lasted one year where he was and then had to transfer down because, and he told me, he goes, you were right. I had to pay attention to the little things. Uh, so, you know, you got to coach your, your, your players. And I want to say that my biggest attribute was I hired good coaches and I let them coach. Uh, when I first got the Holy Cross, I was the defensive coordinator. When I first got to, Burlington Township, I was a defensive coordinator, and my offensive coordinator was a kid that played for me at Holy Cross. Uh, And after so many years, I let my linebacker coach become the defensive coordinator. I'm a big believer in the more responsibility you give your coaches, the harder they're going to work. If you do everything, they're not going to work hard. So the more responsibility I gave them, the harder they worked, and I was kind of like the CEO. I made all the major decisions. All the plays went through my headset, both offensively and defensively. But very rarely did I overturn the call. Every now and then, you have to. When you, you, yeah, I don't like that one.
0: You know. Yeah. No, I get you. I trust me. I've I've worked for head coaches like that, and there's times I've tried. So. It's harder when you're at a smaller school. I've learned to do that, but like as much if you can develop coaches and get to that point, it's great. It is because it allows you to manage a lot more and oversee, like you said, the CEO. Yeah. And it allows- like I said, I was
1: very, very fortunate. Like I said, my first offensive coordinator played for the Cleveland Browns and New York Giants, and he would see things as far as the defensive line lining up, and you know he goes, "This run is here." That you know he was he very, was very very fortunate to have somebody like
0: that. Yeah, no, yeah, you're 100% right. And like I said, anytime you can, I think it also allows you to focus more on the relationships and getting to see every kid instead of, okay, I'm tunnel vision and just the offense and who's starting and who the main backups are. Like just, yeah, I would always
1: tell my coaches, I said, the overall team is going to be my personality, but each individual position that you coach is going to be your personality. So if you're the offensive line coach, that offensive line is going to take on your personality. Hey, wide receivers on down the line, they're going to be – and then the, the the whole team is going to be me. But
0: each individual position is going to be you. And,
1: you know, they took pride in that.
0: Now I got, I got two last questions for you. Um, kind of – first one, to build off of kind of what we just talked about, do you have any I, – I never like how I word this, so I'll just kind of word it this way, is just – Any wisdom, thoughts, advice for young head coaches, young coaches in general?
1: Yeah, you know, I heard this the other day, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't know if it was Nick Saban or or Belichick that said it. You know, I I don't want to take credit for it, but, boy, it makes a lot of sense. Don't worry about the outcome. You know, we, we worry about the outcome on Friday and Saturday night. Worry more about the process if you worry about the process and you take care of the process Friday and Saturday night, will take care of itself. You know, um, you know, I think I used to tell the kids this, you know, like, how bad do you want to win? You know, how, ba- you know, everybody says they want to win, but what are you willing to put into it? You know, there, there were certain weeks where I knew on Tuesday we're going to win this game. I mean, our kids are practicing like it's Ohio State, Michigan. And then there were other games where you're going, I'm I'm a little bit worried about this. Like we, you know, we didn't practice very good. And you can tell from a coaching standpoint, you know, how well we're preparing.
0: And then, and then my, my last question for you is I, I like asking coaches this, um, especially after this year, I've become an avid reader um, for some reason i've read more i generally and this is not a joke i've read more books this calendar year than i have the prior 31 years being alive um part of that is because through college and high school i just use the internet to help get through stuff and mm-hmm. take advantage of my resources um but like i have i mean i mean i got i'm reading bill seiler's you probably can't see because my background football super split the underdog defense currently um just out of curiosity, do you have any book recommendations? They could be culture, defense, yeah. doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't look so much for books like that because what I like to do, I don't even like to go to clinics because it's funny, I would speak at New, in clinics in New Jersey and I would really work hard to sound intelligent, not say anything. But since I'm from Ohio, the Glazier clinics would hire me and I go, I want to speak in Ohio. Well, I speak in Ohio. I'll tell you in the detail how we call things, how we do things. You know, um, so what I like to do is, I would like to go, like, go to spring practice or sit in the coach's office and talk. You know, give me in detail what are you doing here, and they'll do that. You know, they might not do it at a clinic, but I like to read books that give me a different perspective. Like, there's there's a great book. I mean, I loved reading it. And it was Northwestern, Gary Barnett called High Hopes. Just how he motivated the team, how he got that team to play. Um, you know, and I'm old school. <laughs> Woody Hayes, you win with people. Uh, Run to Daylight, Vince Lombard, Jerry Kramer, uh, stuff like that. But I'll tell you what, High Hopes is really a great book. Um, I read the one by. Um, Tony Dungy, when he, uh, you know, uh, I forget the name of it right now, but he um, in the beginning of it,
0: it quite strength. There's, he's got a couple, but is it
1: quite. Yeah, like in the beginning of it, he talks about how he got fired at Tampa Bay and how he had to go in and pack up his office and they changed the locks and everything, and then how he gets to Indianapolis. And you know, I like reading those books and seeing seeing those types of backgrounds. Uh, like I said, as far as learning things, I like to, you know call up somebody and hey, you know, like coaches will come in in the spring, like last year. And I said, hey, I said, let me take you out to the club, Burlington Country Club. We'll sit and have a few beers. I want you to to draw up all your one back blitzes. I said, because I have mine, but I've been doing them for years now. And I go, "Eh, sometimes you get a little bit stale. I want an idea. What do you guys do? And that's how I like to get to get my stuff. But I do love reading books on motivation and stuff like that.
0: I like I I, I mean I not all of them are football books but I've worn between culture offense defense, um, God oh God what did I read a couple weeks ago that was um kind of when I was in my wishbone phase I read essentially the autobiography for um oh his name is Casey Ryan who just who made the wishbone the offensive coordinator from Texas um oh um it, it wasn't Darrell Royal um, no it the- is his assistant um.
1: Well, that's well, if you—I don't know if you've ever seen this movie—but if you want to watch a good movie, I don't know if you can get it on Amazon Prime or Netflix. But it's called *My All-American*, and it actually goes into when they switched over to the wishbone.
0: It was uh, Emery Bellard. Okay, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. *My All-American*. Okay, I'll look at that. Yeah, yeah.
1: *My All-American* is about they—they—they um, they, they start off the movie with Daryl Royal, and they go you know, a college girl's interviewing him. She goes, I want, you know, she's going over all's, all Americans. And she goes, who was your favorite all American? And he gives, um, the, the guys, the kid's name Steinbach. I can't think of the kid's first name. And she looks, she, she goes, well, he wasn't all American. And he, he goes, he was my all American. That's a true story. And it goes into how he got to Texas and what he did at Texas and, um, if you watch it with a girl, she's going to cry at the end. But it's a true story.
0: Yeah, like I mean, like said, so I read his autobiography. Like, it's just stuff like that. I mean, it doesn't really go into super detail about the wishbone. It hits a little bit here and there, but it's really about his career and kind of how he went. Well, the
1: it, it's funny. When they put the wishbone in in Texas, Darryl Royal said, it saved my job because yeah. we, were, we weren't going to go much longer, and we put this offense in, and it took off.
0: Well, yeah, and then he and then um, he had he had uh, Emory pretty much help teach Oklahoma and uh, Arkansas, not Arkansas um, Alabama the offense, to help yeah. their jobs. Like, I mean, Oklahoma's coach is about to get fired, and, and uh, what's his face at um, Alabama was starting to get on a hot seat at the time too. Like, it's just yeah, and it's amazing what
1: coaches do. You know, you know, back in the day, I mean, Oklahoma, Nebraska ran a wishbone. You know, now you wouldn't you wouldn't see that. Now, you know, I played for a guy at Mount Union, a guy by the name of Ken Wable, and we ran the split back beer, and he was very, very good at the split back beer. Now, what Division One school would bring in a Division Three coach to install their offense? Well, Dick <laughs> Crum in North Carolina, brought Ken Wable down as a coach in the spring, put in the split back beer for us. Of course, Dick Crum was a Mount Union guy too, so it helps.
0: I mean, that it so. Yeah, no, perfect, coach. Now, now uh, it's kind of, uh, coaches. Um, his Twitter will, bio will be in in on in the bio of the video and, and or podcast audio that you're listening to. Uh, give coach a follow. If you got any questions? Like I said, coaches semi-retired. I'm gonna just say it that way. I'm not gonna say retired. I still, have,
1: I still have a couple good years left. Yeah. But,
0: uh, um, but yeah, give him a follow. I mean, he I mean he got back to me immediately. Um, reach out to me if you got any questions. Like I said, coaches got a bunch of insight at their – over 40 years of coaching, um, and 30 as a head coach, uh, like, share, subscribe, all that. Lovely jazz. Check out our sponsor coach pad. Um, hopefully by the time, this video post, we'll have over 5,000 YouTube subscribers. We're getting close. That's the current date, but we'll see when we, by then. Um, otherwise that is another episode of the gap down backer podcast. Um, thank you coach. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.